Welcome to Engineering Influence, a podcast from the American Council of Engineering Companies. And today we're putting the spotlight on the ACEC Research Institute. And a research project just recently came out, first of its kind. It's the first time that we've actually taken a look at the engineering industry and produced a diversity roadmap, kind of a gauge about where industry is, uh, where member firms are right now on their DEI and B programs and, and really where they aspire to go. And it's the first time we've actually taken a measurement of that. And to start the conversation, I'm very pleased to be joined by a few individuals who are engaged in this project. First, Chad Galantes, he is the CEO of Zwei Group. He's joined with uh, by Stephen Lucy. He is the president and CEO of uh, JQ Engineering. And of course, uh, everybody knows Joe Bates with the ACEC Research Institute. Uh, Chad, I'm going to put it over to you first. Um, where does the Zwei Group come in and where does JQ Engineering come in in the whole project? Give us kind of an overview and introduction on, on how everything kind of came together to produce this document, the source of its kind, Diversity Roadmap. Sure. Thank, thank you very much, uh, Jeff. So it really goes back five years ago when we were at Zwei Group going through our ownership and leadership succession uh, transitioning from Mark Zweig uh, to me. And uh, it was when we were rolling out a new mission and that is to elevate the industry. And at that time I sought out about five different uh, diverse industry leaders uh, to really just help me workshop this idea, this what I call a big idea of elevating the industry. And uh, Steve Lucy was uh, one of those who was generous to give me uh, some of his time and insights into what elevate the industry means uh, to him. And, and in his career, uh, both of us are, are civil engineers and we share that uh, commonality. And really at the heart of, of Zwei Group's Elevate the Industry mission, it really is a recruiting and retention mission. Uh, really about attracting and retaining uh, professionals uh, in this uh, industry, which as anybody that's listening to this podcast probably can uh, relate, recruiting and retention is the greatest, uh, and I call it a crisis that, that we're facing in the industry. And, and out of that mission, about a year later is when our Elevate Her program was launched. And it was one of those, uh, I would say, byproducts of the Elevate the Industry mission. And, and it was a, a very exciting program that I felt really captured the essence of what we were trying to do. Uh, and the Elevate Her program is also a recruiting and retention uh, mission-oriented program, but really with the focus of those groups that are underrepresented. And, and we know that's women and minorities and um, and so any group that's underrepresented. And so uh, Steve, Lucy, and JQ were a major initial and continue to be a very big supporter of that. And eventually this DEI plus B feedback tool that we have, uh, have supported ACEC and the Research Institute on. Joe, from the Institute's perspective, you know, working with uh, all the different initiatives that the Institute's now embarking upon, I mean, really, how did this kind of become a, a focus of some of the research that you guys have been doing over at the Institute? So we've been talking about this initiative for a while, Jeff, and earlier this year, Mike Carriger, who became chair of the ACEC Research Institute, 
uh, told me and Daphne and the other folks at the Research Institute to get moving on this right away. And so we are very happy to receive that direction. And we moved forward with uh, great speed and, and diligence in producing this diversity roadmap really in an almost record time for a research project of this size. It only took us about six months. And so that's kind of where we are today with this project. And my understanding is, I mean, it's a tool that's ongoing, right? It's something that you have an initial report, but engineering firms are still encouraged to take advantage of the tool to kind of get their own self-assessment about where they are uh, and where they are in relation to the industry on, on DEIB efforts. That's right, Jeff. And I know we're going to go into some of the results here, but essentially this is a benchmarking tool and a maturity model. So there's two pieces to it. And member firms can participate now through the end of the year. And then we will shut off the 2023 data collection. And next year in 2024, we'll start collecting 2024 data. So this is meant to be an initiative that will track not only individual firms' progress over time, but by aggregating the data from each of these firms, we'll see how the industry is progressing over time. So you mentioned going into some of the details and some of the results, and we're going to pick out a couple of, of, of real takeaway items here because uh, we want everybody to go in and read the report. It's available on acecresearchinstitute.org, um, and we want you to take advantage of the planning and maturity model tool. But let's let's take a look here. I'm going to, we have some slides that will show that we kind of want to go into, and the first one I thought was really interesting and, and, and kind of goes into the... I guess the first break for takeaway that that really surprised me, I, I guess that, you know, even though a lot of firms have started their own programs, you know, they they the majority are still aspiring to really mature or, or really get um, away from the dock when it comes from, you know, the DEI and B programming. Uh, I'm going to throw it open to the group, to Joe, Chad, and, 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 and Steve also to see, you know, what do you guys think about this, this idea that the majority of the industry is still kind of in the early stages of their DEI and B journeys? So, Jeff, from a data perspective, what we found here, as you said, is that the vast majority of firms participating in this study are at that beginning level on this maturity model, and that is the aspiring level. So you will get scored on a scale of zero to 100 based on the answers you provide. Uh, there are about 200 firms that participated in the study so far this year, and you can see almost 80% are in that aspiring category. So from a pure data perspective, that's the type of firm that uh, you know we have in this study. Uh, very few are at the top level when it comes to the overall assessment. Now, Steve, as an engineering firm leader yourself, I mean, what's your what's your takeaway from this from this chart? Well, I think one uh, one of the values of the tool is that uh, as an industry, we've struggled to understand exactly how to benchmark ourselves. There's there's kind of global data in the marketplace, but there's not data that's specific to the AEC industry to really understand where we stand, what are we doing well, what do we need to work on. Uh, the downside to it is we all uh, have said and picture that we've made a lot of progress in this area, but then you look at the percentage there in the aspiring category and it just highlights the 
the ramp that we still have in front of us that we need to really catch up with uh, and understand where we're going. At the same time, it's comforting if you're early in the process to realize that you're really not behind and, and you can really work with your peer group to really understand how you, areas that you can have impact and really start to change yourself uh, and increase out of a, the aspiring category into the other categories. And Chad, uh, what's your what's your big takeaway from this? Yeah, I, I was both surprised and not surprised. I think that I was expecting maybe more firms that were further along in their journey to be attracted to something like this. But but I think the encouraging thing here is that that this is not just a, a one time thing. And and as I read through the results, to me, it's just they're very educational. So I think a lot of firms take it the first time get educated as to what is, and I think it's related to what Steve said. I mean, how do we measure ourselves? I mean, what is good versus bad and what 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 is something that we need to be working towards? So I think the tool from that standpoint is really good that that it educates. And, and so and it also will encourage firms to each year then take it and and move up that that scale. And so I guess if you really want to start anywhere, maybe this is where you'd want to start. And, and see then how this this uh, moves the industry towards obviously where we're wanting to go, which is the top level. Absolutely. So let's let's move on here and let's talk about you know really the what are we talking about here in terms of universe here, uh, you know, and how many firms actually do have a strategy, um, and and you know we we see that of surveyed we have thirty six percent do have a DEI and B strategy in place. We have, of course, the second 35% in progress and then 28 are kind of in, you know, the, the not not sure or, or, you know, the no category, 28 and 2% respectively. Um, you know, going in, this kind of does correlate with that first chart saying that, you know, majority are aspiring. You know, the, the good thing is that we do have 36% of firms and, 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 you know, closely followed by 35% who either are in process or actually have one established. Um, you know, taking a look at the industry, um, you know, is this is this something that you kind of thought was going to be around that number percentage? I mean, you know, Chad, first with you, I mean, what, what, what was your thought when you saw this number come out? It, you know, it didn't surprise me. And 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 not not to, to view it pessimistically, but honestly, when I see in progress, I also see a lot of no's in there. I mean, that that's the reality of it. It's in progress and no are almost the same thing. Uh, it's, it's the, it's what we've got to do is move people to the yeses because these things can be in progress for years. You know, it, it, it firms, and, and this is, comes from our business consulting side where we're going into firms and working with them on strategy, getting alignment around this can be challenging. And so in progress means maybe there's one person trying to champion it and then three people working against it. And that's a problem. Yeah. Steve, what are your thoughts? Some, somewhere along the same lines. I think um, one, when you get into the data though, it's looking, <clears throat> excuse me, at the size firms that you're talking about also. And uh, there is a perception that if you're a small firm, then you're not really going to have a program per se versus uh, the leader in the firm or the leaders in the firm are really the ones behind it. And, and you see that in other data within the, within your study. Uh, and I do think if you, if you look at that, 
just because someone doesn't have a program doesn't mean that they're actually working in the area to make a change. And they may say that it's in progress or they don't have it strictly because it's not in writing or something that they can hand off to someone and say, this is our program. Uh, and that's indicative of our, just the demographics of our industry of diversity of size and diversity of resources that people can have. So the numbers didn't surprise me. Uh, the good part is that you do have those, at least a third of the group or a little bit more does have a plan and is starting to impact and, and implement the plan. You know, Joe, with your experience looking at the industry, kind of with the sentiment reports, kind of taking a look at, you know, breaking down the industry by region, by size, all those demographic points, um, you know, to, to Steve's point, I think it's well taken that just having a program in places is is not enough because it could just be on paper and to satisfy and check a box on a plan or or what have you whether you need a plant program that's actually being put in place and, and acted upon um did this number surprise you given you know your your experience researching the the, the structure of our industry right now so I wasn't surprised by the data once I saw it. I, I really didn't know what to expect, but when I saw it, I thought, okay, this, this makes a lot of sense to me. I've worked with other industries as well, and they're in similar positions when you look at the data that, that you know we have. I think what I wanna point out is building on what Steve mentioned, that there is a really big difference between large firms and small firms, not when it comes to the overall assessment. And that, that's the interesting thing. When you look at those overall numbers and where firms fall, there's not a difference between small firms and large firms. But when you look at how they're going about DEI and B activities, what you tend to see are that the larger firms have more strategy and are implementing less Whereas smaller firms are less likely to have a strategy, but they actually are doing more DEIMB activities. So that's something that you can find in the report. The larger the organization, the slower the action, right? You, you have a lot of strategy, but you don't really implement as quickly. When you have a smaller firm, you, you tend to be a little bit more nimble and move quickly. So if you have an initiative, you, 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 you undertake it. It seems to be the... Uh, that, that way in organizations in general. Um, let's move forward here and take a look at, you know, really the, the, the question of employee engagement. And this comes up a lot when we talk about um, DEIB and just really the, the, the need for firms to make sure that the employee base is, is engaged and also they feel empowered or they feel heard uh, throughout the process here. And what we see is that, um, the breakdown from those surveyed, you know, at least they're doing an annual um, employee engagement um, uh, uh, survey or, or, or some kind of outreach. Um, Steve, does anything stick out here? I mean, you know, as a firm leader yourself, um, you know, what, what's your perspective on, on an employee engagement? I think, I think you need to come up with a multi-pronged approach to try to engage your staff. I mean, the, you know, back, I look back in my career and it's a 40 year long career and you had your annual review and that was about the extent of the engagement that went on and different people respond to different methodologies that you may have in order to engage them. So I think you need to have reviews. I think you need to have engagement conversations. I think you need to do 
some surveys to be able to do that. I think you need to be very open with sharing data uh, with your staff and convey why as a firm you think certain things are important and you want them to be engaged in that, but also be then willing to explain the, the, the rationale behind the, the why. Um, and so DEI is one of those topics that in some conversations can carry baggage with it. If you're looking at it from a business standpoint, and that's what we're here today to talk about from the business standpoint, it makes perfect sense because it's a, it's a matter of making a diverse staff that aligns with your diverse clients and your diverse, uh, your welcoming environment so you can get people and really have them engaged and be uh, successful within the firm. And so it's not a matter of checking boxes or having you know, certain numbers that you're trying to hit. It's really just how can you make it reflective of the world in which your staff is operating in and that should be reflected within the makeup of your firm, or at least that's that's our belief that we need to do that. But then you have to live it and convey it uh, each and every day to be able to respond along those lines to, as issues come up within the firm. Chad, from the I guess the consultancy side of the of the world, I mean, are you are you kind of surprised here? I mean, fifteen percent say never. Um, semi-annually 11 percent, but then you have every other year or longer duration 20 percent is a pretty big number uh for not a lot of contact um what's your perspective on that yeah well a lot we don't have time to go through it we we have a whole area of our business that's that's focused on research and analytics and we actually have a sizable survey that we run best firms to work for which yields three million data points a year on employee sentiment but the reality is everybody is over-surveyed nowadays, right? We're getting surveys everywhere we go uh, for every type of service we're consuming. And, and then these employee engagement surveys are further eroded by, you know, companies saying, well, now we want you to fill out the local St. Louis dispatches or local business journals, uh, best places to work in St. Louis or wherever you're located. And so uh, the reality is, is that employees are over-surveyed you know, more, you know, if you just look at it at, at, at overall, but the bigger problem, and I think Steve alluded to it, it's like, you've got to do something with it, right? It's not just about asking for the results. It's about doing something with the data. So what we recommend to our, to our clients who are interested in moving the needle on employee sentiment, do it once a year, one comprehensive survey, report the results to the employees, completely and transparently and tell them what you're going to do about it. And, and that's really how you, you get ROI out of these, these studies. And I would encourage firms that take the, the, this uh, uh, diversity and benchmarking tool through ACEC to share the results and show what they're going to do about it. And I'll, I'll, I'll you on back on that just a second, if I could, and that we, we actually do that. We take part in Zwag survey uh, because we've done it year over year. We share the results with all of our leadership and with a, with a, yeah, all of our staff. And then the staff helps identify what the three or four or five topics that we're going to focus on over the next year to uh, where we see the most uh, pinch point within our experience with our staff. And I see this survey being very much along the same lines. We can use this as a, as a data point within 
our company's history, we can focus on the areas that we want to collectively focus on. Uh, and then we can compare what our results are in the following year as to whether or not we're successful in addressing those issues or not and what our next steps are. Yes. You know, Joe, uh, to Chad's point about employees feeling over-surveyed, and as a researcher yourself, I mean, what are some of the other tactics that uh, could be successful in lieu of a survey or, or doing, you know, the, the idea of doing what Steve said, you know, you do one survey a year, uh, but then you follow up after that. What are some other action items you think that, that firms could undertake to uh, do some soundings on their employee base? Chad's right. People are over-surveyed in every aspect of their life and people go to work and then they're surveyed again. So that is something that is a challenge that we face as uh, just as in general in the United States. But, um, you know, it's not a bad thing, though, to continue to ask your employees um, on important matters. And so I would agree with Chad that, first of all, you don't want to over-survey your employees. And this is probably at best once a year for most companies. But you can engage your employees in other feedback mechanisms. You can have focus groups from time to time. You can have uh, employee suggestion box uh, boxes. There's a lot of different ways that you can engage your employees to get feedback and to assess where you are in terms of your diversity. So um, you know you don't want to over rely on surveys. That's for sure. Let's move forward here and see what we have next. We have so. Now, this is this is an interesting thing because this also takes, uh, you know, consideration of the marketplace right now. So we have 49% of firms agree that they include DEI and B strategies when they pursue work. So 37% agree, 12% strongly agree. So it looks like agree and neutral pretty much lead the race here. But disagree and, and, and strongly disagree are kind of are, are relatively low numbers. You know, from a... I guess marketplace right now, the the fact that you have more public clients who want to ensure that the project teams represent the communities that they're going to be serving, that you have certain uh, requirements on um, what is the breakdown of the firm that is going to be uh, demographically is going to be working on certain certain uh, 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 projects in the built environment, and then the general trend of making sure that you're competitive with your peers. Chad, I mean, what are you seeing in the marketplace right now with DEI and B and, and the firms that are successful in navigating this so that they, they are as successful as possible uh, going after uh, public and private work? Well, you, you said it. I mean, it, it's really about business development strategies that that reflect the audience that they are pursuing, whether that's the selection committee the community, et cetera, I think is very important. Uh, I, I think that, and I'm, you know, I'm not sure that the detail or or what additional context uh, was is available for firms to provide around this. But I, I would certainly be curious of how much of it's required. And this is where I'd love to get Steve's input because you know their work across Texas, uh, and Texas has got some real complex uh, rules around project teams and et cetera. And I wonder how much of this is is required versus this is something we really want to do versus, you know, it's a business development, good practice strategy. Yeah, Steve, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I had the exact same comment. Uh, 
because I looked at the data and uh, one interesting part to me was also the percentage of participants in the study that were located in the South. Um, and so you do see you know, differences regionally around the United States. Uh, in, in Texas, we have an extremely robust uh, MWBE program at the state level and at all the large metropolitan uh, areas. And so if you're in the public sector within Texas, you have uh, definite requirements and goals uh, related to your, the, the ownership of the companies, not as much as far as the makeup of the staff. Um, but you see that what Chad mentioned is what's required versus what you may be doing because you just see it as good business practice or also what the culture of your firm is. And the study doesn't really break it down along those lines uh, completely, but it'd be interesting to kind of look at that to, to get some viewpoint of it. Um, but the, but the numbers don't necessarily surprise me just in talking to peers and where they, they look at, if you are in the public sector, primarily you're doing this somewhat by default, whether or not it's required or not, because you're also trying to connect with your end user. Uh, and you're going to see lots of diversity within the user group and also within the ownership group, typically potentially more so than you're going to see within the consultant group. So Joe, I mean, how does this match up with some of the data that you've been looking at from a regional breakdown uh, when, when you'll see firms looking at different market sectors and, and, and see where growth is? Um, you know, how does this correlate with any of the data that you've been looking at? Yeah, so it's really interesting in this study that we saw here and there a few regional differences. You'll particularly see that on the next slide that you're going to share. But overall, we didn't see a lot of regional differences in this study. There were many more differences when you look at firm size. And that seems to be what is typical in the studies that we conduct with ACEC member firms is that we'll typically see that there are more differences by firm size than there are geographically. Now that is not to say, as, as Steve pointed out, that there are certainly places, areas, uh, you know, if you're primarily focused in the public sector, you're going to be focusing more on diversity than in other areas. Uh, but that it doesn't come out in a regional look at the firms when, when we look at it in four census regions of the U.S. Well, to your point, let's let's move ahead here and take a look because we're looking at, um, uh, you know, firms more, are more likely to be asked to articulate commitment to DEIB when pursuing public work. And uh, this kind of goes back to the uh, to that point of, you know, the, the, the requirements now a lot in, in, in public agencies and, and in certain markets. So really, we're looking at here, you know, that's interesting that that sometimes asked private 31, public 35, often asked, there you go, you see that breakdown, 26% public and only 11% private, and then always asked, you know, practically zero on private, but public 6%. Uh, this really kind of does go back to what we were talking about. It's just that you see that that drive by, especially public sector uh, clients, that they want to have um, uh, project teams that are that are diverse. Uh, Leave this open to comment. Let's start with uh, with with Chad. I mean, this kind of does validate what you said before. Is there anything else that you want to hit on when 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 looking at these numbers? 
Yeah, it certainly does help provide some context to that to that previous slide, and and not surprising, you know, private much less. Uh, I mean, if you go down to never asked, uh, you know, private. I mean, that's a quarter, you know, of 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 those that responded. So so you know, that this certainly uh, does not surprise me, and so I, I, it does. It just brings up to me. The point of how much of this is like we elect to do this versus we're forced to do it. Steve, any additional takeaways? I think that, but I think firms should look at this and also look at what's, you know, there's business development and as it relates to obtaining work, there's also business development related to obtaining staff. And if you start to look at, uh, your perception in the marketplace as to how you present yourself to pursue work also becomes your perception to your potential future employees or other people you're trying to attract to ignore it, I think starts to have an adverse impact on your business as a whole as to where you're going to go. And so I, th I think we categorize business development strictly related to work procurement, but I think we nearly really need to look at it as a, uh, public relations and you know all those things related to how you're presenting your company. And just because somebody doesn't ask you doesn't mean that you don't want to present your culture and what you stand for within how you present your company. So I, I guess I do it more as a challenge to those who said they never do it as to, is that the best business decision for you to make as to how you present and develop your company? That's a really good point. It's a, that, that is an important, piece of marketing of how absolutely you want to present your firm um, and, and, and in strategic planning. When you're looking at a roadmap five, 10 years into the future, how do you want your firm to be positioned in the marketplace? Joe, I mean, this is a, a good example of the importance of getting data and being able to actually benchmark here. Um, you know, what are you hoping to do in the next iteration here? I mean, is this kind of goes into the whole the idea of everybody out there go up and then take advantage of this of this benchmarking tool so we can gather more information. What are you hoping to see after a couple of iterations of um, of this benchmarking tool when you start you know seeing this? Do you think that the, the numbers are going to fairly stay the same or do you think they might might shift a little bit over time? I think that's a really good question. It's a bit of an unknown at the moment. Um, we know that, Firms can be slow to change, but that's why we are going to conduct this study on a year-over-year -year basis. What I think is helpful is that Steve mentioned that you need to look at different aspects of your business, and this benchmarking tool does that. We have different sections on workforce, workplace, your business development, community relations, as well as demographic information that we're collecting on your own employee base. So there's a lot of different aspects to the diversity roadmap that we really haven't talked about here today and that is really important for firms to read the full report. And, and then again, as I said to your point, we hope to see more firms participating in this study year over year so that we'll get an even broader and more detailed picture of the industry. And of course, we're hoping to see progress. I can't tell you whether we'll see progress after one year or two years, but the idea is that by elevating this information and providing this information, that we will get people to act upon it. So we provide um, a checklist 
within the report. So if, if you are a firm and you want to actually know what you should be doing, participate in the study and the individualized report that you get will show you exactly what you need to do to move the needle. It's a very, very, very good point. And then let's take a look at this. I, this is, this is, I think, the generational shock question. You know, it's, it's millennials represent the largest proportion of the workforce, 42%. The boomer generation is 13% Gen X. My good old generation, 27%. 42% millennials. And of course, Gen, Gen Z is 17%. They're, of course, um, rapidly uh, uh, gaining traction. I think people still consider millennials to be people in their 20s, but in fact, they're still uh, in their 40s and maybe early 40s. Um, this demographic breakdown is, is, is kind of a, uh, of, a, of a signal that companies need to change to kind of uh, meet the needs of a new generation of worker. Uh, Steve, as a firm leader looking at this number, um, you know, 42% millennial, what does it mean to you for from the, the cultural aspect of your firm and, and kind of how you um, address workplace matters, address employee needs, uh, the shifting, uh, uh, you know, objectives of, of your employees? Um, how does this kind of uh, 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 translate into your day to day? I'm a boomer, so I'm, I'm you know, toward the end here. <laughs> so the, uh, the, the first thing to do is is from my own personal viewpoint was to just admit, I don't know what they want. You know, the only way I'm going to really know what our staff needs and wants is to engage them in some way to have that conversation. So you can gain that from them. And then you can't be dismissive in that conversation because their viewpoint is there is the reality of the world from their standpoint. And if, if you want to engage and keep that staff going, then you need to engage them on their own terms and be able to really listen to what they do and what policies can you do in order to make that the best work environment for them to want to stay in our industry and then want to stay with your firm. And if those are your end results and you're having honest conversations with them, then I think you can get a lot out of that as to what you're going to do. And what we've found is that in almost every case, what, what they are looking for also makes good business sense to be able to provide. And it actually made good business sense back when I was starting my career. It just wasn't what people looked at at the time. Uh, but things like parental leave and things like that, uh, those, those have huge paybacks for keeping your staff that you've trained and spent all this money on to keep engaged within your company, that why would you not support that versus having to get this churn of additional staff that you have to try to find to get, especially in today's environment. So um, I, I think you just have to recognize that it is going to be diverse. There's power in that diversity and different viewpoints and that even in men or protege situations, the mentor can become the protege in a lot of conversations that you have. Well put. Chad, what are you seeing that from, uh, from your work in, uh, on, on the consultancy side? Uh, how are firms kind of uh, changing to meet the need of a, of a relatively younger demographic? Well, I, look, what Steve said is a perfect segue as we, as we kind of zoom out and wrap this up. I mean, the reality is that 
that it is a it is a business issue. You know, it's a business performance issue, and and firm leaders have got to get clear as to what DEI means to them. If you look at, I mean, we're looking at this chart. The the majority of of those in the workforce in their firms, firm leaders who are likely boomers, maybe in Gen X as well, but but the majority of of their people were now born before uh, uh, or after 1981, born after 1981. So the, the reality is, is that you've really got to understand what this means. And, and just to, I mean, not to go off on a little tangent here, but firm leaders have got to understand the business uh, issue of DEI, right? And, and the reality is that term DEI has been hijacked politically. And, and, but if firm leaders want to understand what this really is, they need to go to page one of the report and read uh, the research institute's definitions of what diversity is, equity, inclusion. If you read that and belonging, if you read those, those describe a good corporate culture, period. That's what they describe, a good corporate culture, which every firm leader wants, a good corporate culture. They want, in, in a climate where recruiting and retention is their greatest challenge, they want a good corporate culture. And, and those that are in the millennials and, and Generation Z, they value purpose and meaning beyond all other aspects of their business. And so this is the path to do it. I mean, this is what drives business performance now and in the future. I think it's just that clear. We really kind of end where we started right there. I mean, really just talking about getting that idea of a, of a strong corporate culture and using this as a tool uh, to help guide engineering firms to navigate the way to uh, stay current with the market demand, stay current with the demands of the client base, but then also to make sure that they are effectively retaining and attracting uh, the next generation of engineers who, of course, are in very, very short supply uh, to their firms and keeping them there and, 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 and getting the next generation of leadership in place. So really want to encourage everyone to go up onto the ACEC Research Institute website to download your copy of the Diversity Roadmap. It is free to download uh, and also to take advantage of the benchmark tool, which is open right now. And uh, so we can start collecting even more data and we can start getting um, a, a good year over year review of exactly where the industry is. Uh, Chad, Steve, and Joe, I really want to appreciate, I really, I really appreciate all of your time uh, today to go over some of the high points here. And thank you so much for joining us. And, and hopefully we can have you back on to talk about uh, the 2024 results as well. But uh, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for everything you're doing. Well, I appreciate it. And again, this has been Engineering Influence, a podcast for the American Council of Engineering Companies. And we'll see you next time.